Good morning. Let's uh, begin with the word of prayer and, and ask God to help us as we look into this material today. Father, we're thankful for the promise and the expectation, the anticipation that we have that one day every knee will bow to Jesus. Lord, He bowed for us in the sense that He came to serve us and give His life as a ransom for many and that all who believe in His name and accept His finished work on the cross uh, as verified through the resurrection will be saved. And, and Lord, we count on that promise and we look forward to the day when, when all creation will fall in line behind Him, that, that they will bow their knee and acknowledge that He is Lord. Some will do it um, unwillingly, but many of us will do it willingly. And and uh, so, Lord, we, we acknowledge His rule even today in our own lives. And we want to come into better conformity with His will and His desire for us. So help us today as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're starting a new series uh, this morning. And I'll talk about what, what all is involved in it. It's called Baptist Essentials. And um, today we're going to cover the topic, what is a church? In January of 2012, uh, Jefferson Bethke, a 22-year-old from Seattle, uh, posted a YouTube video titled, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. And it's really well done video as far as um, its its ability to watch it. The, the colors were pretty spectacular. The editing was, was done really well. And this quickly blew up on the Internet and even gained attention from a lot of the news media outlets like CNN and CBS and, and the Washington Post and so on. And through today, it's, it's been viewed over 32 million times. Why all the attention for a YouTube video called Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus? Well, it reflects that today for people, spirituality is popular, but religion is not so popular. That is, that they'll take Jesus, they'll take God, but leave the religion, leave the rules and the dogma, the priests, the institutions, leave all that aside. We want Jesus. We don't want all the structures that come with it. And so... For some, when the topic of church comes up, their eyes kind of gloss over and they're left with a bad taste in their mouth. Why? Why, why do they have such a bitter taste over the idea of church? Well, for some, the church has lost its way and, and has turned a blind eye toward the community. And, and so the, the ship is sinking and for them it's time to get off. For others, the problem lays not so much in the institution but in, in the people. right? That the church is filled with a bunch of hypocritical judgmental, self-righteous, closed-minded people. And, and so church is a place full of um, boring people who are holding on traditions that, that make them feel good and uh, pushing others into it through legalistic guilt. And so that's how people tend to view the church. And so what we want to consider is how important really is the church? Um, isn't Jesus the most important? I mean, isn't really this all about Jesus? Why not just ditch all the baggage and, and rethink how we're doing things, which I think is what Bethke was trying to do. Let's just ditch all these ideas of traditionalism and church and religion and let's set all that aside and just take Jesus. 
mean, besides, wasn't Jesus the one who said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them? I mean, it sounds right to say what Bethke said. I hate religion, but love Jesus. And it's no wonder that it, it got such it gained such great popularity. But the question that we have to ask is, is it true? Is it true? What if a person's experience leaves them feeling the church is irrelevant and a waste of time? Can, can a Christian today be fine with God, but without the church? I mean, can a Christian today be fine with God, but without religion? Now, we, we tend to, to cringe that word religion, but... But I hope you recognize that, that the word religion is actually in the Bible and it's, it's seen as a good thing. Pure religion is undefiled. It is this, um, that, that, uh, that people take care of orphans and widows, right? James 1. So, so James is saying that religion is good um, and, and we like to distance ourselves from it because of all the baggage that has come along with the idea of religion over time. And so um, to answer the question... Can Christians do fine with God and without the church? I think we need to think carefully about what the Bible says, not about what Bethke says or any other you know, people with all their various opinions. We need to see what the Bible says about the church. And what we'll find is that the church is, is, is far from something that's just optional. I'll take Jesus and leave the church. The church is actually central to what God is doing today. And, and the same thing is true about theology. Theology is far from something that's just, you know, reserved for scholars who just sit up in their ivory towers and, and think heavenly thoughts. Theology and theology of the church matters for you and me because God has spoken and we are expected to listen and to respond. All right, so let's see where we're headed for this six-week um, series on Baptist Essentials. Um, if you look on the back of your handout, you can see a schedule. Today we'll begin looking at the fundamental question, what is a church? Because if we don't know what we're building, then we're going to make a mess of it. So we need to know what a church is. A definition of a church is, is important. And from there, we'll unpack that definition looking at three necessities of the church. Church membership, week two. Church discipline, week three. And church ordinances, week four. If these are important for a healthy church, then it makes sense that that there would be people to guard those things, uh, membership, discipline, and ordinances. So in week five, we'll look at church governance. That is how the church is ruled by the congregation and, uh, and, and then how church leadership works uh, alongside of that. And finally, we'll talk about what the church should do when it gathers together. And, and in all these things, we're not so concerned about the latest book with the latest idea. We want to hear from God primarily to see what He says about the church and how we should organize our lives together. All right, so while we don't... I mean, it's not the primary thing that, that, that books are, are, um, are going to lead us, but, but I am going to recommend some books for you that, that actually help us point back to what I'm suggesting, and that is to go back to the Scriptures. Uh, probably the most helpful book that I've read on church membership is this little guy here by Jonathan Lehman. It's one that I've recommended to the church for the book of the month uh, probably about a year ago. And uh, you can get it for about 10 or $12 on Amazon, and I would highly recommend it. Um, it. It just goes back to some of the basics. Sometimes we think, well, membership's not that important. And he helps show from the Scriptures that, that not only is it important, but, but there's no such thing as a Christian 
uh, since the establishment of the church where he just kind of lives apart from a church. It's just assumed that when a person comes to saving faith, they are baptized and they, they then join a church. Uh, then church discipline, also by Jonathan Lehman. Another short one, same, about the same price. There's kind of, uh, so this is guarding the front door of the church. Make sure, make sure that we have believers only who are coming into the church, becoming members of our church. And then this is kind of opening up the back door. Like uh, we want to make sure not only that we're made up of Christians, but, but repentant Christians, people who are willing to acknowledge their sin and turn from it. If they're not, then the scriptures have a mechanism by which we remove people from the church um, and, and uh, make sure we maintain the purity of the church. If you want something a little bit more meaty, this is um, a theology book on the church, actually Biblical Foundations for Baptist Churches, a contemporary ecclesiology, which is just contemporary theology of the church, and uh, a book that I read through uh, during, for seminary, and it kind of breaks down a lot of these same principles that we're going to be looking at throughout the class, but, but a, a little bit more, uh, more detailed. So if you're looking for something heavier than these two, these you can read through in probably a couple hours, three, uh, maybe five, five hours or something like that. This one, this one would take you, take a, take you a little longer. All right. Any questions so far? What we're looking to do? Anybody remember seeing that YouTube video besides me? No. Okay. Um, Welcome to take a look at it. It's, uh, it's definitely thought-provoking. Don't don't um, don't agree with him by any means. But but um. All right. So what is a church? Imagine that you take a flight this next week from Detroit to San Diego, and um, could be for work or for to visit family or for a holiday or something. Whatever the reason, the plane takes off from Detroit Metro, and and you reach your cruising altitude. And you're able to take your seatbelt off and, and um, be free to move around the cabin. And uh, what if you found out at that time that the pilot was frantically turning the pages in the manual to try to figure out how to land this thing? He knew how to take, it off, take off and he learned all that part of it. But he didn't uh, go through the process of figuring out how to land the plane. Sometimes we're so eager to get started on the activity that excites us that we skip over some of the important details that, that seem to get in, in the way. Details like definitions. Like what's so important about a definition of the church? Let's just get in and do church, right? But I think definitions are important, much like the, the minor detail of a pilot learning how to land the plane before he gets on the plane. And, uh, and so I think we ought to consider the definition of the church before we, before we take off, before we get into all the nuts and bolts of what it looks like to operate within... God's principles with regard to the church. Let's talk about what a church is. But before we do that, let's talk about what a church is not. The word church shows up um, about 114 times in the New Testament. So a good place to begin maybe to, to, to rule out what a church is not. And, and one of the, the misconceptions of our day is that the church is the building. And we talk about this much in passing you know, we want to go to church. And when we say that, we're usually thinking about a building or I need to drop something off at church. You know, and we're not talking about a group of people or anything. Or that's a nice church. And that's not the idea in the New Testament. This building could burn down tomorrow and Ambassador Baptist Church would not cease to exist, right? 
And we could still exist apart from this building. That's why in Romans 16, Paul can greet the church that met in Priscilla and Aquila's house. The, the building was not the church, but the people who met there was the church. And so the word that, that, that is translated church in our Bibles is from the Greek word ekklesia, which means just a gathering or an assembly. And so that's what a church is. Fundamentally, it's an assembly of people. So, so the first one there, it's not a building. Secondly, it's, it's not a random group of Christian friends. Okay, so first, it's not a building. Secondly, it's not a random group of Christian friends. I mean, you could get a random group of Christian friends together to watch a football game. And so we would ask, does that make it a church? I mean, just when a couple Christians get together, does that make it a church? No, the church is an assembly, but the church is also not simply a random group of Christian. It's Christians. It's far more. And then um, on the next page, let me just make a distinction here between a universal and a, a local church. And by the way, the New Testament uses both of these, these ideas. The universal church is just another way of talking about all Christians from all time. So from Pentecost, Acts 2, all the way till the rapture, that, that's, that is the universal church. All of those Christians, Christ died for the church, right? He's, he, he didn't die just for one local assembly. He died for the church. He gave His life for the body of believers. This kind of um, uh, talk is used in, in Ephesians chapter 1. That this, this idea of the church is used in Ephesians 1 when it says that Jesus is the head of the church. Doesn't mean that he's just head of the Ephesian church, although he is. He's the head of all the church, the entire, the universal church. Okay, with that being said, most of the references, probably 95% or more of the references to the church in the New Testament are referring not to the universal church. It's, church, it's referring to individual gatherings of the church, local churches, the church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, Colossae, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and so on. So the church is not a building. It's not simply an assembly of random Christians. It's much more than that. So how do we clarify what the local church is? And here in, in Lehman's book, he gives a helpful definition, I think, of what a church is, uh, this book on ch church membership, and it's there for you in, in your handout. A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and His, I added, future kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. Okay, there's a lot there. We're going to unpack that over the next coming weeks, but, but let me highlight one aspect of it, and that is this third line here, Jesus Christ and His future kingdom. What does the kingdom of God have to do with the local church? Well, if you look throughout Scripture, even back to um, the time of Moses, you have the kingdom of God being a major theme in the Old Testament. It was something that, that God was establishing His kingdom on the earth. Obviously, uh, He did that through the reign of David, and then, then now that kingdom is, is, uh, is delayed. We're waiting for the king to come back. The king now lives in heaven and he's going to come back and, and reign on this earth in David's throne as, as the king over this kingdom. And so 
the kingdom has a lot to do with the church because if you look through all the the, the parables, uh, Jesus is constantly talking about the kingdom of God is like, and he's helping us to see how our salvation and and eventually our our being added to the church um, applies to this future kingdom. That that no one um, a a person cannot enter the kingdom of God if he is not born of by the flesh and or, or by by water and by the Spirit, John 3. And so, when you read about the kingdom of God, you ought to think about the future rule of Christ in the millennium. And the church fits into that kingdom because the church is how Jesus today is gathering His sheep to be part of that kingdom. That, that there are kingdom principles that are, that are important for us to understand that if we're going to enter into that future kingdom, we need to be a part of Christ's work today. And I would suggest Christ's work within this um, body of believers or in another one like it. The church is a, a group of believers who who exist to worship, and um, and we do that because we're preparing for the time when we'll worship Christ in His kingdom. So, how do we worship God together in a local church? Well, the church displays the image of God, and so to answer this, I want to just walk through the story storyline of Scripture, and and this goes very closely with. Uh, what we looked at the last six weeks, which was um, the uh, the two ways to live, kind of just worked through the fact that there is God and then sin, judgment, Christ, uh, His cross and His resurrection, and then a response. Here we're doing it more chronologically here. First, you have creation in Genesis 1. God creates plants and animals, each according to his, to its kind. Every Apple is patterned after another apple. Every zebra is patterned after another zebra. But then in verse 26, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And so humans are actually patterned after, amazingly, God. That we represent God in some way. But then step two was the fall. The fall in Genesis 3. People decide not to represent God's rule. Instead of imaging themselves after God, they pattern themselves after their own rule, and and as a result, they stand guilty because they have broken God's law. We have broken God's law. And, And so now we still represent God. We still are made in the image of God. We don't lose that image. Uh, Even unbelievers, I hope you recognize today, even unbelievers are are made in the image of God. That's why we value life so much, because God values life. Because every single human being, from the time of conception to the time of their death, are made in the image of God. And so we value them. We don't don't, uh, promote abortion or euthanasia or anything like that. We, we, We value human life because every human is made in the image of God. The problem is, with our sin we now have misrepresented God. We have distorted that view. So instead of our individual lives being a reflection of who God is, we now have distorted that view. So when people see us, they actually see like God in, in kind of a bent mirror. It's not the proper picture that they ought to see. Well, step three is Israel. And that is that God in His mercy had a, had a plan to both save and use a group of people to accomplish his original purpose for creation, the display of His glory. God's saying, listen, I am going to display my glory. 
I, I, I set it up so that I would display my glory through you, individual humans who are representing me, imaging me, but you failed. So now I'm going to draw together a people. I'm going to choose a people who are going to be uh, a group who are going to represent me. And um, so that's why Israel is often called the Son of God. Because sons look like their dads. They, they image their fathers. And so the Ten Commandments, in the Ten Commandments, um, God gives this son, Israel, to, to follow after the image of their father. You shall have no other gods before you. You shall not make for yourself any image of God. You shall act in a way that reflects my character. And if this son, Israel, did worship other images and failed to display God's image, then he would be cast out of the land, which, which as you know, is, is, is exactly what happened. Not only to individuals who were cut off from the land of Israel, but, but to the whole nation that they were sent off into exile because they failed to display God's image. So step four is that Christ came along. In Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized. And what does the Father say from heaven? Okay, so now we have the exact representation of what God was looking for, right? God is looking to, to uh, image Himself, represent Himself through humans, but we failed... Israel failed, and now Jesus comes along, and He is the Beloved Son in whom God is well pleased, that, that perfectly images His Father. That's what Hebrews 1 says. He's the exact, exact representation of who God is. And so now at last we have the perfect Son who perfectly pleases His Father, who perfectly images His Father. John 14:9 says, he who has, Jesus says, he, he who has seen Me has seen the Father. So you want to know what the Father's like? Look at Me. And so no wonder the authors of the New Testament call Him the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. Here is a man who perfectly images or represents God for all of us to see. Now turn to, um, turn to Romans 8, because now we have step 5, which is the church. Romans 8. Look at a couple passages. Notice what God is working to do in the lives of believers. People who have been bought by the blood of Christ to get back into to, to a place where they image God. Verse uh, 28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. So, so this goes along with the theme that we've been seeing throughout the Bible, which is that God's looking for His people to image Him, to represent Him. Do you see that there in the middle of verse 29? So that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. So God made us in His image. We distorted that image with our sin. We marred that image. It's not completely lost. We still image God in various ways. Uh, as I mentioned, unbelievers even do this. One of the ways in which we image God is, is just our, be, our ability to to follow after the attributes that God has that we can follow after. like It's what theologians call 
the communicable attributes, the ones that can be communicated to another creature. Um, the incommunicable attributes are the ones that can't be mimicked, right? We can't, we can't mimic God's uh, ever-presence, that He's everywhere present. We can't mimic His all-powerfulness, right? We, we can't um, mimic His omniscience. We can't do that. But we can mimic His love. We can mimic His justice, His, his, um, his desire for peace. We can image His creativity. That's how you have unbelievers who, who actually are made in the image of God but have that marred image and, and they still are able to be creative, aren't they? They're able to take something and form it into something better, something that, that actually is productive in society. And so even unbelievers image God in some way. The problem is it's not to its fullest potential. And the same thing is true for us as believers, that, that while we are in a different spot than unbelievers, we have a, a better capability of being able to image God because that's what God's doing in us. He's conforming us. He's changing us more and more to be like Christ, who is the perfect image of His Father. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. Because we need to see that this is our job. Our job is to display the character and the likeness of the image and glory of the Son and the Father who is in heaven. Would someone read verse 49? 1 Corinthians 15:49. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So our job is to display the character and likeness of the Son, of the Father. The Father is a peacemaker, and so we in our church ought to be peacemakers. This is what Romans 14 and 15 are about. It's not about causing division. It's not about you know, uh, putting a wedge between what we want and what, you know, what other people want. It's about being peacemakers for the sake of truth, not, not to the, to the um, discarding of truth, but, but because father, the Father is a peacemaker, we should be. Because the Father loves His enemies, we as church should love our enemies. Because the Father and the Son are one, John 17, then we as a church ought to be one. This is what Jesus prayed for us. He said, just as as you and I are one, Father, I I pray that the church would be this way. That there would be such a close connection uh, among them that it would be symbolic of what's going on in the Godhead. That the Father, Son, and Spirit are all like-minded. So, like Father, like Son, Jesus Christ, and like sons the church. Alright, the sixth step is glory. And uh, we can uh, see this in 1 John 3, 2. First John 3, 2. This, this pursuit of being conformed to the image of the Son is an ongoing process that just happens throughout all of our life. This is God's will for you, that, he, that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. And what you can be confident in is that as a believer, you, you can be assured that you will finally be conformed to the image of Christ in the next life. Would someone read verse 2, 1 John chapter 3? All right, there's coming a day when we will not be as we currently are. 
that that God is going to remake the the new heavens and the new earth and the city where God dwells is a place that we will dwell with Him. We will actually have the capability of being in the presence of God without being destroyed. Remember throughout the Old Testament, people tried to see God's glory. God tried to see God in all of His fullness and they could not because God is completely holy and He cannot allow either sin or imperfection into His presence. But there's coming a day when we will see Christ and when we see Him, we will be like Him for we will see Him as He is. And at the end of Revelation, we have this great passage that tells us that that, that we will see God's face. We will live in this city of Jerusalem and, um, and we will, of Zion and, and we will see His face. And so here's the summary of the story. God created humankind to display His excellence, the excellence of who He is. Adam and Eve, as our representatives, didn't do that and neither did the people of Israel, but Jesus did. And Jesus came to reveal God and Jesus came to save. And now the church is called to image the character and glory of God to all the universe. How is it that God is expressing His greatness and His glory to the universe? Well, one of the ways, and I would say the primary way in this dispensation, in this era, is through the church. That the church is called to testify in word and action to His great wisdom and His great work of salvation. So, how do we worship how do we respond to the excellency of who God is? And the answer is that we image Him. We show, show His glory. We show off His glory. So let me briefly turn, return to the definition there um, on the second page. It's a, lo- a local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and His future kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. And so if you read through the New Testament, you'll see a number of pictures that describe the local church. And, and we could argue that, that these pictures help to, to form this definition of the church. For example, you have there on your handout, the church is described as a body in 1 Corinthians 12, a family, 1 Timothy 5, a flock in 1 Peter 5, a house or a building, 1 Peter 2, a priesthood, 1 Peter 2. And so here's the point. As a local church, uh, as we live together with the structure and purposes that are laid out for us in the New Testament, and I think in this definition that we meet together to oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ, that, <clears throat> that we set our, up our lives in such a way that we image what the church is supposed to be, which is a body, <clears throat> excuse me, a body, a family, a flock. We want to make that a reality. Not a bunch of disconjointed bricks to a building, right? We want to be one building that's that's together, not a body that has kind of body parts spread all over the place, but a body that's working together for the sake of of God's purpose. A family, not a family that's spread spread out all over, but that's working together. In other words, the church increasingly reflects different aspects of the image of God. We want to show what God is like to ourselves and to the watching world. And, and that's why we exist. All right, any questions or comments? All right. Let's uh, draw out two, two implications, two implications, two lessons that we can learn as we think about the church. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. 
uh, before I give you the blanks there, let's take a look at this text and make sure that that what <clears throat> what is being said here on the handout is true. Before we get here into chapter 3, verse 10, think for a moment of how Paul constructs the book of Ephesians. He begins chapter 1 with this beautiful, this beautiful description of our salvation, that it is by grace alone to the glory of Christ alone, right to the praise of His glorious grace. We have a song that comes from that, the D.A. Carson wrote, and, and we sing uh, often, to the praise of His glorious grace. That's right from Ephesians 1. Then chapter 2 begins with the gospel. These are some verses that you probably uh, recognize. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Right in, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, verse 2. And among them we also did. And then verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love. So chapter 2 moves from the larger picture of Christ, the, actually the Godhead existing to the praise of His glorious grace to, to the fact that this is displayed in salvation to believers. That is that the people whom God has chosen are now being called out of the world and then, at the end of chapter 2, Paul launches into this primary application of the gospel. How is it the, that, that this gospel is applied? And specifically, in this case, he shows that it's applied as Jews and Gentiles come together, uh, now united, those who were once estranged from one another, those who once hated one another, two groups who, who for ethnic and theological and social and polit- political reasons, had every reason to be enemies. And, uh, and you see much of that even today. Now we're coming together because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel does. We, we already saw kind of a hint of that in Acts chapter 10, didn't we? When, when uh, Peter is told to go to Cornelius' house, and Peter says, I'm not going there. They're unclean. And what did God have to do in order to convince Peter that it was okay to go? Remember? Right. So so Peter had this dream and and it wasn't just one time. Like it's okay, Peter, go and eat. It's it's okay. And Peter it, it actually happened three times, right? And Peter was finally convinced. And he went and so now you have here a Jew who is like those Gentiles are dogs. I mean they're they're estranged from us for all sorts of reasons. They're dirty and and unworthy of of God's gospel. But here you have in Acts ten them coming together as a picture of what Christ would would later do for for all, and um, and and that's really what the church, one of the 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 fundamental purposes of the church is is to take these two groups that were once estranged at enmity and bring them into one family united together around one purpose. We are this new family of God. We are God's new humanity. People who have all sorts of things that are uncommon are now coming together with one common purpose, that is that Christ reigns and deserves to be worshipped. And so why does God do all this? Is this so that He kind of settles some of our differences so it's not so painful for us on this earth? I mean, maybe there's part of that going on. We, we, why spend our times um, at enmity with people when we can be united with them? But I think there's something much bigger. And here it, uh, Paul tells us, Let's start in verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light 
what is the administration of the mystery for which ages for, for which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So he's like, I, I am the revealer of the mystery. Uh, and the mystery is just saying something that to Old Testament saints, they didn't fully comprehend what all this was about. They didn't understand this concept of the church. They always thought that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so if you wanted to be blessed through the Jews, then you need to become a Jew, proselyte. In other words, you need to proselytize. Uh, and and so that's what they're expecting. And now, now Paul's saying, I'm the, I'm the revealer of this new mystery, which is, that, that Old Testament saints didn't understand that. And here it is, verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. So what is it that God's doing through the church? Well, it tells us there that, that through God's great wisdom, He now makes known His great greatness, His marvelous wisdom through the church. And so we could ask it this way, how does God primarily show His greatness in this age? We might say, well, you know, there's creation. We can look out at creation. We look at the stars. You know, when we gaze into the night skies, David says, and, and see the works of your fingers, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you would take thought of him? Right? There's all sorts of ways that God reveals himself. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, there, there's, some, there's some greater way in which I'm revealing myself to my creation. And that is through the church. That the manifold wisdom of God would be made known through the church. And it's not just for us to see God's greatness, but also for the watching world. And notice in the text that, that the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places at the end. So, so somehow there are people, there, there are angels and, and demons that are in the heavenly places that are watching what's going on in the church. And the reason I know that is because Ephesians chapter 6 um, talks about this in verse 12. You can see it there. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. What do we fight against? We don't fight against individual humans. That's not where our fights lie. Our fights are actually against spiritual beings. There's a spiritual realm out there that is seeking to destroy us and to divide us and that's where our primary fight lies. So, so you have that same sort of language talking about the demons in their heavenly places in chapter 6, verse 12, also being used in chapter 3, verse 10, saying there is some kind of an arena in the heavenly places where the angels and the demons are watching to see how we respond to God's mercy, how we respond to the gospel. And, it, and if this doesn't... Um, put things into perspective for you as a believer, then I don't know what will. Because we are very important to the, to the grand scheme of what God is doing. He's saying, listen, I could show my glory in a number of ways, but here's how I've chosen to do it. I'm going to do it through blood-bought sinners who, who once were estranged from me and from each other. I'm going to bring them together and I'm going to unite them around one common purpose, that they love and know Christ. And as a result, the, the angels and the demons are going to watch on with wonder. Remember what the angels are longing to look into these things? No, no Savior ever came for the angels. No one came into the angelic race and died for them. And so the holy angels are watching on and saying, 
What amazing grace that God would come and take people who were His enemies and die for them. And, and how do they respond to that? How are they being changed more and more into the image of Christ? And, and this should humble us and, and help us to see what we really are a part of. That we're, we're a part of something that's much larger than us. And that's what God is doing. So here's your blank. The, the local church is the focal point of God's grand plan to display the glory to, to the nations. To, to display His glory. So it's the focal point. The way that God shows His manifold wisdom, chapter 3, verse 10 says, is through the church. It's not just through us as individuals. We don't go and you know <clears throat> promote ourselves and, 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 and try to make sure all the world knows about us and our great story individually. We, we want the world to see us as a, as a church, as a congregation, and and um, that doesn't mean we have to do a lot of promotional advertising and say who we, just by living out our lives within our communities within within our own building um, we we show the watching world what is most important for us and so friends the church is far from optional it's not just something kind of a add-on thing well what can I do you know I've got these two groups of people that don't really like each other Jews and Gentiles and what can I do with all these guys? It's not just an add-on that God kind of came up with last minute. It, it, it's central to His plan. It is the primary way in which He displays His glory in this age. The local church is the focal point. Secondly, the local church is to be distinct from the world. God's purposes for the church work when believers are different from the world. Now, just not, not different just for the sake of being different. I think in our Christian subcultures, we've, we've kind of gotten a little bit too far in that regard. We just want to do things that are different just to, for the sake of being different. And we can't do anything that's like, anything like the world. We can't do that. But, but if we follow the example of Jesus and the disciples, we find that they did a lot of the same things that the world did. Um, but, but the d- distinct... The, the, the distinction that we ought to have between us and the world has to do with the way that we live. That is, that, that we are concerned about holiness. This is really what sets us apart from the world. That, that we are concerned about holiness. First Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, you also be holy in all of your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Remember the communicable attributes, the the ways in which we represent God? Here's what God's saying. As obedient children, don't conform yourself to the former lusts because what I'm doing inside of you, in, in you personally and in you as a church, is I'm conforming you to the image of my Son and so you need to be holy like I am holy. Represent who I am, but be a proper representation. And so the church, the local church, is only for sinners. If you're not a sinner, you're not welcome at this church. And yet churches are for repentant sinners. If the church looks no different from the world, what good is it? Right? Even if it has a perfect message in words or a perfect message in its song, a church that looks like the world only defames the message of what God is 
is, is proclaiming to the world that He is great, that He is worthy to be worshipped, and that His Son has paid the price for anyone who will come to Him and accept Him as their Savior. All right, any questions or comments? All right, I love to... Uh, I love to think about the church. I love to, to talk about the church. Um, I, I do think that it's critical that we understand properly what the church is here for because sometimes what can happen is as we're just kind of going through all the activities and, and, the, and the motions of, of what goes on in a church, we can forget why we're here. And it's, it's always helpful to be rem- reminded, especially of things like Ephesians 3, that says that, that we exist for the glory of God, the, for God to display His greatness to a watching world and to a watching angelic realm. And, um, and we play a big part in that. And God expects us to, to, to be complicit with the Spirit as He works to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. All right, any thoughts, questions before we dismiss? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that that we can exist um, as believers and as this church only because of His blood and His perfect righteousness. And Lord, we know that you accepted His sacrifice, His substitution on our behalf because He was raised from the dead. And He now lives in heaven at your right hand and is planning to come back to receive us unto Himself so that where He is, we also will be with Him. There will, we will be also, uh, Lord. And we know that He will come to reign on this earth and we with Him. And we look forward to that day. May You bring about that day quickly. And until that time, make us good representatives of Your glory and of reflecting Your greatness. Lord, not so that people can praise us, not to us be praised, but to Your name be all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.